Hello and welcome back to the Weekside Podcast. I'm Jenny Brentis. I'm here with Connor Orr. On the other podcast on the MMQB, the MMQB Monday Morning Podcast, we had a draft quadrilogy. Connor and I are falling a little bit short, but we are having a draft pre-draft trilogy. The last two weeks, we each shared the top picks of our mock drafts. And today, we are reviewing what regrets we already have. So it's only been two weeks since (laughs) Connor came out with his mock draft. It's only been one week since I came out with mine. But already, we are plagued with regrets and doubts. (laughs) New information has changed things. Obviously, the Chiefs-Ravens trade has changed that pick. So that was out of our control. But Connor... There's already things that I would change, and I know you feel the same way. So I don't think anything more perfectly encapsulates the show than this. And uh, it's because it's essentially two people, and I I don't want to speak for you, but me, you know, this is basically the mock draft version of having a conversation with somebody that is perfectly fine and then walking away and destroying yourself for all the weird things that you think you said in the conversation (laughs) you know what i mean it's like oh why did i say why did i do this why did i do that you know and uh you know that's why we're here at the weak side podcast uh and uh yeah as soon as the thing published i was just like oh like you just go through it and you're like why and uh so this is good we're giving ourselves a chance to go back and uh and and recalibrate and uh you know because again the information process. I mean, not only did the Ravens trade back, so they they have an their trade with the Chiefs, so they have an additional first round pick that changes everything. But in general, I mean, we're reporters. We make more phone calls. We get better information or crazier information. I don't know what it is, but it, at this point, it just leads to, uh, you know, the floodgate of regret just pouring everywhere. So this is a chance to address that in a healthy way. But you're right, Connor. This is, speaks very well to the ethos of the show. We call ourselves the Weak Side Podcast because we are very self-deprecating and self-doubting, and so <laughs> this show is really the yeah. This really encapsulates us and our and our vibe here. And Connor is actually going to do another mock draft this week that will be on the site on Thursday. But today we're going to go through and talk about our top three regrets, and we're going to start at the one that we both share, which is our pick at number three, Connor. Yeah, so this is fascinating. I have Trey Lance, and I I may regret putting this as a regret. I mean, how about mm-hmm. that? How about that as meta regretting? But that's um, super meta. Uh, you had Justin Fields at three. I did. Which, which uh, initially, so here's like the Rubik's cube of regret here. I, I saw you do that, then I regretted Trey Lance at three, and then in my next one, planned on having Fields at three, and then I put him down, then instantly regretted it. Now I'm back at mac jones but may go back to trey lance so how about that like that is uh that's where i'm at right now it's exhausting yeah well the 49ers have made this sort of exhausting because we know the jaguars are taking trevor lawrence we are pretty certain the jets are taking zach wilson although would be interesting to have a conversation connor about how they arrived at that decision why this Mm -hmm. became so certain so long in advance of of when his name is called if it is indeed called as we all expect it to be uh but three has been really uncertain and the 49ers keep things really close to the vest and so i think when i made my pick i sort of fell into the trap of what evaluators in the nfl thought the pick should be and the response that i got from people who i trust in evaluating quarterbacks was that the pick should be justin fields and 
that is always a, a failure in mock drafts when you go with what you think the pick should be versus what it will be. And now there have been multiple reports that the 49ers are deciding between Trey Lance and Mac Jones, which also, Connor, I'm not sure. That's kind of weird to me. We, we, we discussed last week when they make the trade to number three, do they certainly have a guy in mind? Or is it that they are comfortable with any of the three quarterbacks they expect to be there at this point? And I think we might not know all of the answers to that until the draft is over with and we hear a full blow-by-blow of how they came to this pick. But it, it is a little bit surprising to me that they would still be deciding between two guys at this point. I think on my way, my walk, you know, my big walk down from my kitchen to my basement to tape this podcast, I did finally get hit with a bolt of lightning as to why the 49ers may be operating the way that they're operating. And this is no reporting, no insight, but like the whole, you know, the last two weeks I was just thinking like, why, what is the point of doing this? Why do you continue to insist on not, you know, leaking the pick? And, you know, we saw John Dorsey do it too. um, And really there was no point to that one, uh, certainly. But this one is interesting to me because you note, they're noting that they're between two diametrically opposed quarterback stylistically. It gets very different between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. And I think that the one thing, if you're Kyle Shanahan and you're uber paranoid that you're holding on to, is that maybe if you're drafting a quarterback with mobility, you don't want your other teams in the division to be doing more homework on things like linebacker like like sideline to sideline linebackers right who can slow him down you know or spy on him or you know those kind of hybrid box safeties that might be really effective against Trey Lance like you know you don't want them zeroing in on a on guys that can stop him you want them thinking that you're going to go in either one of two directions does that make sense? I mean, that's the only thing I could possibly think of at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. Another possibility, too, is that if you know who's going to be gone at one, two, three, it allows the teams after that point to potentially pre-make deals with other teams. I mean, all of this stuff can go on regardless of if you know who number three is, but if that is penciled in, then teams who are following that, teams who are in the hunt for quarterbacks, uh, the Atlanta Falcons who are at number four, teams who might be calling up to make deals with the Falcons, those talks can be a little bit more concrete and firm, and you can perhaps enter the draft with a better plan rather than scrambling while you're on the clock. So that could be another reason as well. And then you brought up a really interesting point, which I kind of wanted to pull the thread on to, um, and that is how the Jets arrived um, at number two uh, so quickly with Zach Wilson. But here's what I think says something really interesting about the general belief that it's going to be Mac Jones at number three. And I'm kind of stealing this from uh, Pro Football Focus had a great podcast earlier today and they and they brought this up too. But if Mac Jones is, and you know, again, a prototypical drop back passer, you know, that's a dated, terrible term, but that's what everybody's kind of putting him in, non-mobile quarterback. Um if he is so good at doing all those things that everyone's saying, like, you know, processing the reads quickly and memory and a recall and all that stuff, um, like good enough that Kyle Shanahan sacrifices a King's ransom to get up and get him at number three. And Kyle Shanahan is one of these guys that knows quarterbacks. If he is that good, why was he never for a second in the conversation at number two? 
Like, not even for a second. He played in a better conference. He played against better competition. Um, he had, uh, you know, there, there's more to know about Mac Jones, I think. Like, And he was never for a second in the running for that number two pick. And to me, that's the one thing that keeps pushing me back to Trey Lance is like, you know, this guy has more to offer. And I, I just don't know. Like, it's it's just interesting. Like, you know, why why was why were things set up this way so quickly? And why was Mac Jones, if he is that good at all the things they're saying he is, why aren't teams talking about him as the number two pick? And, you know, Kyle Shanahan's old offensive coordinator is now the offensive coordinator in New York. Like, you know, it, it, it doesn't add up for me a little bit. Yeah, I think that's an interesting consideration, Connor. And the other thing that's strange to think about, too, is value and if Mac Jones didn't go to the 49ers at three, where would he go next? You know, I think uh, in my mock draft, I had him going at nine to the Broncos. But if he doesn't go to the 49ers, you could see him making a little bit of a slide. And so if it was Mac Jones, did they need to go up to three to get him? Now, maybe he's definitely your guy and you don't want to risk it. And there are other quarterback needy teams lurking in the top 10. There's other teams that are looking to maybe make a move out like the Falcons, etc. Uh, so maybe you, you do feel like you have to make that move. But really good quarterbacks have been drafted and teams have made a move up and haven't gone up that high. Um, and maybe, you know, some of those teams uh, were farther back, like when the Chiefs came up for Mahomes or the Texans came up for Deshaun Watson. But still, you know, it, that's one thing that was on my mind, too, when I had them going up for fields, because the overwhelming feedback is that fields should be the third quarterback off the board. So you would know that you would have to go that high for him. Yeah, it's just strange because you're right. I mean, they were at 12. And I, I mean, again, everybody, you know, there are people who have this stuff rated differently. And I'm sure that there's some somebody out there that has Mac Jones as their second quarterback. And, you know, I, I don't know, like we're maybe we're all operating with different decks here. But at the same time, it doesn't feel impossible to have on draft night moved from 12 to nine or 12 to eight 12 to seven you know and wouldn't that have been way less costly than moving up from 12 to three to do what they did you know yeah this one's going to be a really fascinating post-mortem and Mm -hmm. because kyle shanahan does like to keep information close to the vest you do wonder how things are getting out and you still it still nags in your mind a little bit Connor remember we didn't know Baker Mayfield was going to be the number one overall pick until the day before the draft I think it was it was either Tuesday or Wednesday and you know it seems like this might be the moment where information is coming out but you just always reserve the possibility for a surprise so but to sum up I am regretting the field's pick at three Connor may or may not be regretting giving <laughs> I the don't know Trey Lance you're not sure so I have I have the mock draft for Thursday up in front of me and right now I have Mac Jones but I I think I'm going to change it again because it it was always Trey Lance for me. When I did the QB carousel post back in March, I mentioned that they were going to try. I said that they were going to trade up to two. Um, Cause at the time I said that the Texans would have that pick trading Deshaun Watson to the jets. They're going to trade up to two to get Trey Lance. And I always just associated them in my mind. It just felt right. It's just like, he's going to add that dimension to the offense that I just, you know, otherwise you would just keep Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I keep going back to that. Um, but I, there's just such an overwhelming consensus that it's Mac Jones, you know, to the point where um, 
I think it was Bucky Brooks uh, or uh, someone who uh, one of the NFL Network scouts that had mentioned that like almost like it's a it's a thing like it's already set in stone. They said, well, we know Mac Jones is going at three and let's talk about the fourth pick. And I'm like, are we there yet now? I don't know. It's just it's freaking me out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Connor. So we, we, we've got a shared regret. I think we diverge a little bit in our other two regrets. So what's your next one? So my next one, it was again brought on by your mock draft, um, and you had a running back going in the first round. Um, I think you had Najee Harris going to the Steelers, correct? That's right. Yeah, and I do think that at some point there's probably going there's going to be a first round running back. Um, I, I I think it's going to be at the end of the first round, like in that window where you had him going. I think t- the Steelers pick at twenty four. 24 is where 24 I had. 24 yep. to 30, 31. Our colleague Albert Breer had Travis Etienne going 30 to the Bills. Our yeah. former uh, boss, Peter King, had Travis Etienne going 30 to the Bills. Um, Buffalo is interesting in that I think they've had a, a lot. They've made a lot of attempts at upgrading their offense this offseason, uh, and they haven't been successful, and that seems to be sort of the last kind of resort desperate flailing kind of deal that they might do is just like let's add a powerhouse running back and see if this changes the system at all but um you know we know they need a tight end but there's just not one that makes sense there so i don't know i mean but i do i did regret not putting a running back in there i think these two guys harris and etn are so good that somebody's gonna go up there and get them and just live with the fact that you know first round picks are you know it is what it is. You're going to have five great years with them, and then you just won't re-sign them after that. You'll you'll make them carry the ball 300 times a year and then move on. So, Yeah, the Harris to the Steelers pick sort of reminded me a little bit of Josh Jacobs a few years ago where we were – he was penciled in in so many mock drafts to the Raiders. It, it seemed so obvious there, and I think I, I actually didn't even put him there because I was like, no, this is too obvious. But it just seemed like a perfect fit, and it has been a good pick for the Raiders, and it, it seems like – Harris could could be that for the Steelers. The Etienne to the Bills was also something that I considered. And, of course, now seeing all these other people mocking him there, I, I regretted my edge rusher pick. But it would make a lot of sense. Um, the ground game needs a little burst of life. I don't know. Um, it needs a little shakeup. And Etienne could be some could be a good pick there. Um, that seems about the right value for him. Again, you know, the late first round teams are looking for just that little thing to get them over the hump. And so for the Bills, that could be a running back. Uh, so, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting, Connor. You know, that's always one of the uh, bingo cards, right? How many running backs go in the first round or, or will any? I, I was asked this uh, on another show, and I do think it's an interesting point, though. I think that we're at the end of running backs going as high as they did. Like, I don't think we're ever going to see a Saquon Barkley again, mm-hmm. but I do think that, you know, maybe the new the new ceiling is like that 25 to 30 range where you start to pencil in that first great running back because that's where I think the value starts, the value curve starts to turn a little bit. Like, a lot of those guys at that point, you know, maybe you don't expect – as much because depending on the depth of the class that could really be a second round pick and in some people's eyes or whatever it is and you know so many of these picks don't pan out anyway and with the running back 
if they're as good as advertised, at least you get those two or three years out of them. Like, of course, they're not going to last to the second contract. But how many of these guys last until their second contract? You know, I think some sometimes you, you, you can get a little bit ahead of yourself, too, there. Yeah, I do think pick 20 on end of the first round teams looking to get better in a specific area without like a ton of needs that that does seem to be the sweet spot if there are first round running backs. I like it. Um, so what is your uh, what is your second regret? My regret is an, another offensive skill position, but r- wide receiver. I had th- only three going in the first round. So I had Jamar Chase going to the Lions. Then I had the Giants taking Jalen Waddell and the Eagles taking Devonta Smith. I really think I fell into the idea that this is a deep receiver class. So some of the other receivers outside of that top group of three could get pushed down a little bit more. Teams would look to take them in the second round because they knew there would be a lot of options there. But I think this was ill-advised. There are a lot of good receivers past the top three that could warrant a first-round selection. Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall. So there just are... I just feel like there's definitely going to be more than three in the first round. The thing that really sealed it for me, we talked about this on the Monday morning pod, Connor, but, you know, Eric DaCosta saying that the Ravens depth is fine at wide receiver, (laughs) despite the fact that they've been searching for years for a way to add a receiver. Uh, And also we could all see that that was the most glaring need for the Ravens or or one of the most glaring needs uh, on, on, on their offense last year. Uh, You know, there were a lot of, uh, parts of the offense that were in transition, but they really need a, a good outside receiver. And now the Ravens have two first round picks. So I think that they are certainly a team that could draft one of the receivers outside of the top group of three at the end of the first round. But there's other teams that could be in the mix. You know, you mentioned the Buccaneers, Connor. I think that's a potential option. The Packers, obviously. Just a, a lot of teams that could use a receiver, and I think it was silly and misguided to think that only three would go in the first round. Even if there is great depth, there are a lot of teams at the back of the first round that will see a guy they like, and it just seems like, yeah, that was a big miss on my part. I don't think it's silly um, because you know there's stuff that you and I talked about certainly um, you know before we started taping. I mean, Rashad Bateman, for example, um, you know, opted out twice. And while you and I don't think that's a big deal, you and I aren't draft decision makers. And as much as we disagree with that, um, you know, I've talked to him about, uh, about how frustrating that was that people ask him about, you know, his commitment and everything after that. And, and that's kind of the deck we're dealing with here beyond those three guys. There are questions about all these guys. And even the second one, you know, with Devonta Smith and his weight, again, is something that I think is dumb, but mm-hmm. other people are not going to think is dumb, you know? And, I, and so I don't think it was silly or misguided at all. I thought it was really interesting and kind of one of those moments where it makes you think, like, we've been talking about this receiver class for so long, but uh, are we missing some of the holes in this class? And I think that that was the point that yours raised like for example i have i had rondell moore going in mind but i don't think you know that's you know if i had to do a sub fourth regret like i don't think he's going in the first round and i think that there's certainly some uh you know some of those other receivers that maybe they're too short maybe they didn't play in the right offense whatever it is um that i i think they could start bunching up into the second round i think i think that might be interesting all right connor well we've made each other feel a little bit better about some of our regrets that's What's the your... other part of the ethos of this show. <laughs> yes, really. 
supporting each other through low moments. All right. (laughs) What's your third one, Connor? So my other, my third one here is that I do regret not having a team come up uh, back into the first round to get uh, like a whoever, like whether it's Kellen Mond or Davis Mills, who I think is going to be that that sixth quarterback. So you think six will go in the first round? Yeah, and you know what? It, it what sold me was, and this is a point that our editor Gary Grambling likes to bring up a lot, um, is that fifth year option, right? And so, like, you you might want that, and so you know, and some of the those other teams are just so willing to trade down at that point and and to move back anyway. You know, you have a lot of those teams that are kind of in that in that window, and so maybe one of those teams vacates that pick to accumulate some more mid-round assets. And then I think, you know, it's either Mond or, or Davis Mills or, or maybe Kyle Trask, one of those guys. Because if you look at it, if you're Washington, if you're Chicago, um, one of those, you know, you have to make a move there. If you're Pittsburgh, um, you're probably thinking about making a move there. Um, and all of those, you know, and, and it, Pittsburgh, it seems like it makes more sense for them to just wait and start completely over next year. But, um those other two teams need somebody now and you know why not just move up a little bit pay that premium and get the fifth year option which i think makes a lot of sense okay so who do you think is most likely which quarterback do you think is most likely to be the sixth i think it's davis mills but uh that's most likely if i had to pick i think um you know i i wrote about kellen mond earlier in this draft um i i think he's uh, supremely athletic has great uh, arm talent and uh interestingly enough uh decided to forego the qb guru route and scripted his own pro day from scratch oh no wonder um, you like him yeah total wild card yeah um, but i heard that you know as far as gimmicks go this time of year you know i heard that that kind of struck a chord with some people right because we're asking all these questions about leadership and you know can you make people follow you well here's a guy that you know the rest of these people are paying these guys hundreds of thousands of dollars to make this stuff up for them but what's a real leader a guy who shows up there and comes up with it himself didn't even tell his coach jimbo fisher he showed up there and he said where is everybody and he set up i I, I came up with this myself, so you know, check it out. And he like did it, it from watching his own watching NFL f- uh, film and saying these are the most complicated routes that I see in games, and I'm going to throw every single one of them because these scouts are going to come in and say you can't do this and you can't do that, and I'm going to do it all from under center because you said I can't do that either. I love that. I thought that was fantastic. I mean, I, you know, I would I would blow it up draft day style and take this guy number one. Show me guts and determination, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, uh, there's a lot of initiative. I like it yeah. too. One of those, one of those. I think you, people come back in and get them so they can secure the fifth round option. And uh, I, I feel like the Bears maybe like you got to put some heat on Andy Dalton. Or if you're Washington, like you don't want to pair Ryan Fitzpatrick with somebody. You want to do the full Fitzmagic experience for a 16 game season. Is that is that really the plan there? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's that's interesting, Connor. So your mock da- draft this Thursday is going to feature a six quarterback, most likely. Uh, yeah, probably. You, you have a couple days to, to change that. But for now, <laughs> it's one of your regrets. These Can regrets you are, you know, amorphous. Go ahead. Well, so as you guys know, um, uh, well, maybe our listeners don't know. So we, we bet like a 
you know, whatever it is. Um, the last two years it has been Rosé has changed hands. Uh, Jenny won the Rosé in 2019. Um, Albert won the competition in 2020, um, but uh, because his wife is a frontline healthcare worker, she won the Rosé for 2020. Um, so, you know, I don't even know if Albert's name is in the record books, uh, technically. So right, right. that was an Emily the victory there. And so uh, year three... You know, it's one of those things that if I, you know, if I beat Albert, you know, and Jenny, it's like, do you go big? You know, uh, what, what, what do you say your drink of choice is? You know, uh, it's like looking at the menu and you're just starting to get excited a little bit. I don't know. You're just getting fired up about it. So. So are we going to grade the mock draft that's closer to the draft, Connor? How are we going to do this? <laughs> well, uh <laughs> whichever one's better whichever one's better no yeah but i already i so i decided this uh yesterday and since i am the greater and i feel like that's not a conflict of interest because i always finish in last um but you jenny are automatically going to start um with it, at least a point and i'm thinking a point and a half because you did yours before the the ravens chiefs trade so you need to start at a point where that acknowledges that because that that's just technically like you can't s- score a maximum amount as as the two of us can. So Interesting. So I'm already like I'm already trying to calibrate the the, the grades a little bit just to make sure everything's even Stevens and uh you know but it'll be it'll be fun. It's always fun. I'm looking forward to it, Cotter. Yeah, what's your third regret? I have Elijah Vera Tucker going 17th to the Raiders, and I think that's probably too low. It seems like he's a really popular prospect among teams and maybe one who was kind of underrated or overlooked in, you know, oh, well, let's talk about Penny Sewell and, you know, the the debate between who will be the first tackle off the board. Will it be him or Slater? But... Vera Tucker is super versatile. He can play multiple positions along the line, and I think it would be a surprise if he lasted all the way to 17. That's interesting. Um, I had him going to the Giants at 11, um, and then I got kind of shouted down after that. Still a bunch of people telling me they're going to take a linebacker, maybe for the first time in since Carl Banks, maybe it's going to happen. I don't know, but it just I, doesn't. Yeah, I'm not banking on that either, Connor. I like Vera Tucker, though. I think it's good. I think it's like one of those things that he gives you a guaranteed person in a spot and and kind of locks up a position. In theory, um, I did have a, a twinge of regret after making that pick, though, when I did. You know, our friend Art Stapleton, who covers the Giants for the record and does an awesome job, made the point that Dave Gettleman did invest a lot of mid round picks that he's hoping are going to develop. You know, and, and and fill those spots. And you fired your offensive line coach last year because they weren't getting up to speed. And maybe you think you got that figured out. And so mm-hmm. there's just so many like there's so many ways you could twist yourself in knots here. You know. Yeah. But I do agree. Like I think he does go a little higher. He's a good player, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I think if he doesn't go quite as high as 11, 14 with the Vikings is another ideal spot. They really have a acute need, an acute need on the offensive line. And I have to say, Connor, I think acute might be my version of your what was it, salad days or halcyon days? Which one? I had to stop using halcyon days and. Uh, that was editor Mitch prevented me from using Halcyon Days for six months and actually sent me a Google invite for when I was allowed to use the word again. And then uh, producer Shelby 
uh, imposed a similar ban on reading the tea leaves. And I okay. realized that I was also doing this uh, every time I said reading the tea leaves. And for people who don't, uh, who can't see me, I'm kind of like, I have both of my fists together and they're kind of going in like a circular motion. So uh, I, it was good for everybody. It was a good job by Shelby to tell me to stop doing that because I think I was developing some really uh, bad conversational <laughs> habits. So, Well, I think I need to stop using a cute because <laughs> I think I find too many places to use that word but acute's a good word though the vikings do have an acute need on the offensive line and i do vera tucker would be a great selection there so that's just a good word though it's a good word it's an easy to understand word it's a short word mine mine are are tired cliches and i think that if anything you should double down on the usage of of good clean language (laughs) and back off on the usage of tired tropey phrases so all right again well thanks connor that's that's my take so all right connor so this week we've been doing a lot of oracling a lot of consensusing so we're going to just end the show with a little bit of a discussion of kevin colbert's comments i know you wanted to touch on them a little bit we briefly discussed last week the idea of players who opted out that being potentially used against them or In a tiebreak scenario, the team would pick the other player. And that's what Colbert said outright today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I tweeted something about the fact that I thought that was ridiculous. And and I think so. I'm not going to walk it back. I think but what some people are fighting me on is that maybe this is just the case of him preferring to have another year of tape on a player and and, and like another evaluation. But We've all heard, we've heard Bill Belichick say that he just watches the 2019 stuff. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. watch a lot of 2020 tape. And I think a lot of people are that way. And I think the problem is anybody who sets this up as making you not seem like you care about your teammates, like you care about football, any of this stuff is just ridiculous. And it's just, it's harmful. It's painful. You know, it's, it's part of this culture of this is why we're not out of this thing yet. You know, and I think it all contributes. I'm not putting this on Colbert totally. Cause he might be, he might be one of those people that needs those extra 16 or, you know, 10 games or whatever. And he's disappointed that he didn't get the 10 games. And he thinks he learned something from those 10 games. And in his point was, if it's a coin flip between these two guys, I'm taking the guy that I see the extra 10 games on fine. My problem is, you know, spinning that into this narrative where it questions players' integrity for sitting out. And I know that we've talked about this. I know that we've railed on it. But I I think it's the biggest story of the draft that people aren't talking about. Like, these scouts have gotten away with asking these guys uncomfortable questions about their family, about Mm -hmm. their personal lives for years, insulting questions, questions with, you know, dicey racial implications, you know, all sorts of stuff that we've Mm -hmm. seen, you know, since day one. And now... This is a real thing. I mean, I, you know, I'm glad that the pandemic has brought to light a lot of stuff about, you know, we can talk about our mental health. We can talk about how all this stuff hits us. These guys, it, it makes them feel bad, you know, like it makes them, you know, to be questioned about their integrity, to be questioned about their commitment to the team. You know, they already feel like they're letting people down uh, just by nature of this, the, this culture we've created about around football. But then to be 
you know, questioned about it, to have people come out and say all this stuff about it, it makes it worse. And I just think it's just so ridiculous and unnecessary. Not one of us knew what the hell to do last year. You know, I mean, we were both in situations where, you know, uh, you know, all of us, we had somebody who was at, we knew somebody who was at risk, you know, um, we didn't know how anything was going to affect anything. I mean, you know, we were preparing to have a second kid. It's like, you know, how does that affect something? You know, I'm not going to go anywhere. You know, I, I didn't go to a single football game last year, you know, or, and, and scouts probably would have said that that was a bad thing for me to cover professional football, not go to a football game last year. I didn't go to the Super Bowl last year because we just had it. My son, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I'm 32 and these kids are 19, 20, 21. I just think it's so ridiculous. It's just so insanely ridiculous. And again, I'm not putting that just on Kevin Colbert because maybe he just means I want the extra 10 games. And if that's fine, you know, that's what you should say. I want the extra 10 games. But if this is a continual narrative on these guys that they did something wrong, then I I just think it's absurd. And making them feel bad for making a choice at a time when none of us knew what the hell to do, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I think two things are true. One is that it's very unfair for this to affect players draft stock but the second is that it almost certainly will Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we were going to see in the first round on Thursday night we're going to see some players who slide and that their decision to opt out was a factor in that factor in someone else at their position or someone else who was similarly graded being picked in front of them I I think when we look back at the, the first round those those marks will be all over it and you know I think NFL front offices and organizations, because a lot of these conversations take place in private, because there's this culture of secrecy in the NFL where you can't let anyone in on your decision making. I think that's contributed to um, a lack of um, growth, accountability, uh, changing with the times over the years. I think a lot of times we we hear about things that take place in NFL buildings and we're like, how is this going on in 2021? And I think just a lot of it is because of the shroud of secrecy. And I think it obscures a lot of uh, archaic discriminatory ways of thinking. Um, And I think that plays out. It continues to play out in draft evaluations. Uh, That's because of race. That can be because of sexual orientation. That could be because of decision to opt out. I think there's just so many ways in which the NFL really lags behind and creates environments that aren't the most welcoming for people who aren't what the NFL has always wanted to be. And uh, that's a problem. And hopefully at some point that will change. But it's, uh, it's such a secret society that those are often the last things to change. Yeah. And it's, you know, what's so ridiculous is if you talk to people who have left the NFL um, you know, and are no longer there and are, and are able to kind of speak freely about it. It's like, what is the one thing that you would change if you could about an environment there? And it's the fact that like the politics, the grouping of people together, the forcing of, uh, you know, fighting against one person, you know, the, the constant stress and friction that all of that creates uh, makes for 32 bad organizations, you know, and the teams that would finally get it and realize that these are all human beings and we're all just trying to, you know, make the decisions that are best for us and also best for the life path that we've chosen. Like those are the teams that are going to start succeeding. And, you know, it's just, it's absurd to me. Like if I was a player, 
being questioned about my integrity uh, for sitting out the season during COVID, I would say, then go ahead, then don't draft me. Like, I don't want to play. I don't want to play for you. <laughs> it's just like, feels ridiculous. And I feel like anybody that s- slips into the second or third round because of this BS, I hope you make every team pay for it uh, because they're just ridiculous and stupid for not drafting you. So that's my two two cents. Well, thank you, Connor. <laughs> Always thoughtful conversation with you. I don't know, I don't no, know if I'm thoughtful serious. is the right word. There, I'm serious. Sometimes I just get mad. So. No, very for, for, for very good reasons, Connor. Well, if people are listening to the show, it's Tuesday, which means there are two days until the draft and all of the guesswork will soon be over. But in the meantime, you can check out all of our mock drafts on the MMQB. Connor is going to have another one on Thursday. You can see which of his regrets he actually puts to practice in adjusting his draft. And soon we will also reveal the results of our mock draft competition, Connor. So lots to look forward to in the coming days. Let's get it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed on Apple Pods. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.